Hey there, everybody. Recording early from Michigan on Monday, March 1st, as this is the episode of Monday Madness for the week. Took out a trip to see a friend and wanted to get this podcast recorded before I have to catch my red eye back to Colorado. So it's going to be a long day of travels, but thankfully, travel is still relatively cheap at the moment. But you didn't come here to listen to me talk about my travels. You came here for the best oil-based news analysis that Rare Petro always strives to give you, and we will kick it off with our favorite statistics. WTI prices are still at around $62 per barrel, but the daily spreads can be quite volatile. It is testing a limit around 63 and a half, and I am confident it will break through that very soon. Even though we saw a small crude build, well, more on that later, there are plenty of factors providing upward pressure. Overall diminishing inventory totals, cold weather, economies reopening, and copper prices, just to name a few. If that copper prices point confuses you, be sure to read up or listen to last week's periodical podcast detailing the relationship between copper and crude prices. Of course, you can find that on rarepetro.com. Lots of other periodicals that are bullish and fun to read, but back to WTI prices. If anything is going to push prices down, it could be the repealing of production limits. So I see the price holding around here for at least a few days, and we'll see what OPEC has to say on the situation. Just know that we are hitting prices that are, well, higher than what they were weeks before COVID caused that dramatic plummet in pricing. Now, I'm excited for the rig count report because my prediction of stagnant to slowly growing production has stayed strong since Biden announced a federal drilling moratorium. Last week, we saw a change of zero in the U.S., so I felt this week had the best chance of breaking it. I stood by my prediction, and the numbers show that there was a five rig increase. I still believe that rig count will continue to improve on the zero to five scale through March, but past that, I can't exactly be sure. As for the nitty gritty, Texas put up four rigs in the Permian as they come off that devastating freeze, so good on them, but four rigs in the Permian leaves us with another rig somewhere else. It's time for the The second second place place stud of the week. If you haven't been with us for the past two weeks, you should know that the Willison Basin has been seeing the most growth behind the Permian, but this week the title goes to the Marcellus Basin. They were the only other basin in the states put up a rig last week, bringing them to a total of 30 to 31 for that solid 3.33% increase, so congratulations to our winners up in the Northwest for securing the coveted second place stud of the week title. With everything cold, infrastructure failing, and economies getting back to business, it would only make sense that crude inventories are still being drawn on. Unfortunately, we live in a world that is not strictly guided by intuition. The API reported a 1 million barrel build, and the EIA reported 1.3 million barrel builds. We've been doing well for a little over a month now as the last build occurred near the end of January, and really, these aren't terrible numbers. It's as close as you can get to neutral without actually being neutral, so I almost want to say that things will continue to be drawn upon in the next reports. For example, utility companies in the West saw suppliers hike their prices over 8,500%. A decatherm, or 1 million BTUs of natural gas, was selling at $3 before it spiked to $263 in Minnesota. I mentioned last week how utility companies are usually prepared for such historical lows, but the freeze that swept the nation proved to be just a little too much. Utilities worked through everything they had pre-purchased at fixed prices in order to hedge some of their supply, and then really quickly exhausted it. I even received an email from my utility company, Excel, who warned that prices would likely increase in the next few years. Utility companies don't make profits on natural gas, but they are able to pass costs along to the consumers in most places. 
CenterPoint estimated Wednesday the average residential heating consumer in these areas will pay an extra $250 to $400 for the price shocks unless there's some type of federal intervention. That cost would be spread across 12 months, most likely beginning in September of 2021. So, while crude inventories may be up a million barrels, lots of other inventories are rapidly decreasing, especially those processed products. I predict a rather decent draw on the next set of reports. Before we get into stories, a quick update to two weeks ago. I had mentioned how there were missiles flying from Iranian militia groups to Saudi facilities that were thankfully intercepted. Well, this is not the last of that. The United States has now returned fire with an airstrike landing in Syria, where it is believed two Iranian militia groups were located. Over the past week or so, a volley of missiles has been launched into Balad Air Base north of Baghdad, and a couple more landed in the international zone, which is actually near embassies. The U.S.'s response was intended to demonstrate it wasn't afraid to defend itself from these attacks, but some are worried this will only escalate tensions in the Middle East. Next up, some news that relates directly to energy markets. When we were back in the thick of 2020, OPEC pledged initial production cuts, and those lasted for months and were even extended into early 2021. Today, OPEC Plus has removed some 7 million barrels per day that would have otherwise been produced, but we are coming up on the next meeting that could change things. They plan to meet on March 4th, where they will begin to discuss lifting restrictions and raising output by up to half a million barrels per day. Makes sense to me. Markets are recovering, prices are increasing, and those in OPEC rely pretty heavily on resource revenue, especially that of oil and gas. So there is no doubt in my mind that this will shock prices in a negative way, but I would be surprised if WTI was affected too much. Of course, they aren't lifting all restrictions, as that would just crater the market, but I do think WTI will take a dip whenever the press releases the results of their initial production lifting decisions. Either way, the OPEC Plus group has come a long way since it started its production cuts. I mean, I remember back in early Q3 of last year, where countries had a pitiful compliance percentage. I'm talking less than 50%. Nowadays, things are going incredibly well. Numbers from December show 101% compliance. And if you think that isn't impressive, January reports estimate 103%. That's the result of 108% from all of OPEC members and 95% from non-OPEC members or the ones that are the plus of OPEC+. plus. 95% doesn't sound too bad until you consider the fact that Russia and Kazakhstan were given permission to raise oil production by 65,000 barrels per day, each in February and in March. Deputy Prime Energy Minister Alexander Novak said that Russia is aiming for 100% compliance at the beginning of February and should definitely be able to do that given their generous production increase. But what if Russia's output was not only constrained by what it was allowed to produce by OPEC, but simply because of things that are out of their control? Well, that's a theory I'd like to take a little bit of time to hash out for this episode. As we all know, it got cold in Texas, but it got even colder in Russia. Sure, things are normally cold there, but lately it has been bitterly cold reaching temperatures low enough to freeze oil and gas in its tracks, even though plenty of infrastructure is outfitted with the appropriate weatherproof technology. Remember how I mentioned OPEC gave Russia permission to lighten its load in terms of production limits? Well, they couldn't even produce enough to compensate for that growth, so they will be well within that 100% goal they're shooting for in the month of February. They did experience a lot of growth in January, but the low temperatures caused them to lose 77,000 barrels per day between February 1st and the 25th. Fortunately, this means that Russia condensate and other petroleum products will be a little bit more expensive for them for the time being, which I'm sure they will be happy with, but on the flip side, 
This is just one of those many stories that highlights the more and more infrastructure that is frozen, I mean not only frozen, but broken, and other supply issues that we have had with this recent cold front. I mean, even just Texas potentially losing up to 50% of their oil production for the time being until they can restore that for the few weeks. That is another one of the reasons I bet prices would rise through this week, because not only Texas, but hey, Russia, lots of Minnesota, lots of the Midwest, people are struggling. That's uh, If you walk away with anything from this episode, I want it to be that. So those inventories, sure, they had a million barrel build, but again, stories like this really highlight all of the things that are pushing up on it. So let's see if we can get that to continue. But I think that is all I've got for this episode. It can be tough to keep track of all market news and the best research that's out there, but make sure to subscribe to the Rare Petro Network, this podcast, or really any of the material on our website so that you may still gain exposure to markets and current events. Rare Petro has had some of the most bullish predictions for 2021, and a lot of them are becoming true because we have found plenty of reasons to support our claims. Stay ahead of the curve by subscribing to our fresh ideas. As always, leave some reviews. Contact us directly at podcast at rarepetro.com. And hey, until we see you next time, I'm Tavis Killian with Rare Petro. Take care, everybody.